Well, my friends, if you would take your Bibles out with me and turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read verses 2 through 9 today. A short passage that's filled with a lot of things. Um, we are so grateful to be able to read these scriptures together this morning. Um, so Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, uh, is Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, we are going to see the event when Christ was transfigured in front of his disciples. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, and be thinking of that question we asked at the beginning of service. When was the last time you saw someone in a new light? Uh, and the disciples are experiencing that with Christ. They have seen Jesus as teacher, as Messiah, as one who heals, as one who casts out demons, uh, as one who ministers and teaches with authority, but they have yet to see Jesus in the light that we are just about to read about in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, listen to these words. I will be reading from the Common English translation today. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond, for the three of them were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the human one had risen from the dead. Let this be a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Transfiguration Sunday. When was the last time you saw someone in a new light? Where you thought you knew everything you possibly could know about that person, and then you saw them in a completely different light. Uh, before service, Pastor Stacy and Ray and I, we were talking about how that really relates to Valentine's Day, where we celebrate romantic love, where you have seen this other person and you thought you knew them, and all of a sudden, a light bulb seems to go off. Or some might say Cupid's bow is plucked and you automatically see them in a different light, a way that you had never seen them before. And a new reality is born, perhaps a new relationship, perhaps new feelings for that person that you didn't have before. Well, I wanted to tell you this morning about Bishop Valentine. Bishop Valentine is the person that this day is named after, Valentine's Day. Bishop Valentine was on a temporary stay in Rome where he was ministering to persecuted Christians. In, in the years of 200 to 300, Christians were being persecuted in the Colosseum at a regular basis. And Bishop Valentine went there to minister to the martyred Christians and their families. 
Bishop Valentine was eventually martyred himself. He was imprisoned, tortured, and executed on February 14th, about 270 AD. His body was hastily buried at a nearby cemetery, and a few nights later, his disciples retrieved his body and returned him home. Ministry was to those persecuted Christians all of his life. He loved them and their families in a peaceful, nonviolent ministry that he had in Rome. Legends have been just so prominent around Valentine. Legend says that he married Roman Christians in secret because it was against the law. And he cut paper hearts out for them to give them messages as they left Rome under the cover of darkness because they were being persecuted. It's also rumored that the day of his execution, he wrote a note to a girl that he had healed from blindness and given a new start, a new chance in life with her new sight. And through God's power, he healed her of her blindness. And many say that note said, from your beloved Valentine. And hence why a lot of the traditions today where we send notes of love and encouragement as Valentines. I don't know about you, but learning that makes me see even Valentine's Day in a new light. That it's the ministry of love of God and love of neighbor that really started the traditions that we have today. That it's not just, it includes romantic love, but it's also how are we witnessing and ministering to those who are oppressed in systems today. Seeing in new light is important because it changes the way that we respond. It changes the way that we live. How we understand something directly impacts the way we respond. Well, the vision the disciples beheld before them made them see Jesus in a new light. It really removed the veil of Jesus' humanness to reveal the divinity of God in Christ Jesus for the disciples. This event that Mark tells us is wondrous and frightening, powerful, unexpected. It is rich with connections to all of Israel's history. Elijah and Moses show up beside him, showing Christ's connection to all of God's mission in the world, giving the disciples an enlightenment of who Christ is. His external appearance is utterly changed and transformed. They quite literally and metaphorically see Jesus in a new light. Jesus' transfiguration is not to be approached with the assumption that we can understand it. And I think that's what makes Transfiguration Sunday a little confusing, as if we're supposed to comprehend all that takes place in this scripture. When really it's in, that is what we are supposed to comprehend, is that all of the mystery of God, there's still mystery in what we don't know about God. There's still mystery in our faith. We can't explain, have you tried to explain all of the doctrine of the Trinity or how Christ was raised from the dead? These are the mysteries of our faith that Christ will actually return someday as well. These are mysteries. 
And so the transfiguration is actually have meant to challenge us, to make us understand that we don't understand it all. And it's supposed to bring us to a place of humility at the feet of Christ, not a place of certainty that we know everything there is to know about Jesus because Jesus is infinitely knowable. Amen? Infinitely knowable. It means to draw us in toward what is abnormal, unnatural, like the burning bush. If we think about the burning bush in scripture where it was Moses' first encounter with God, it was a fire that didn't consume the bush but was ever burning and bright. It was like the fire of Elijah, the other prophet that's standing there. Elijah hoped to receive from God on the altar drenched with water to win the wager against the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings. A, a fire that consumed even the water but didn't consume the people around them. The transfiguration places Jesus in the lineage and honor of the two prophets who stand beside him on the mountain. And I want you to see this clearly. Jesus will then be lifted up again on another mountain with two figures on his right and his left at the crucifixion. Again, revealing all of God in Christ Jesus, the mission of God in the world. And those same disciples would run away terrified. But at this moment, this brilliant, light-giving, just radical experience with Jesus, they are terrified, but they stay. The disciples are terrified in a way that means they fear they will actually be harmed. The Greek tells us. Yet they seek for a way to remain in that presence that terrifies them. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. The disciples remain in a presence that terrifies them. How willing are we to remain in the presence of God, even regarding something that terrifies us? The drama of the moment suggests that it harbors danger for them. And then the cloud appears as another manifestation of God in their midst with a voice that actually reminds me of the voice at Christ's baptism in Mark chapter 1. Here, however, the voice does not speak in second person to Jesus. You are my son, the beloved. It is you who I am well pleased. But the voice actually speaks in third person to someone else, the disciples. This is my son. Listen to him. The voice is speaking to those who are witnessing this divine moment. It's those disciples. It's us who are reading today. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. The transfiguration gives the disciples the experience of witnessing the most amazing and unspeakable vision that draws them to want to stay there permanently, dwell in that place of wonder, and then to be told by the voice of the divine that their job is not to actually abide and stay there, but to wander back down the mountain with Jesus. Peter says, it's good that we're here. We should build abodes or sanctuaries or booths to stay here 
with this divine miraculous moment. But Jesus says, no, our work is not to stay up on the mountain. It's to go down into the valley and commune with the least and the lowly and the lost, those who need this revelation of God in my ministry. We might use the words transfigure and transform interchangeably to describe this moment and other moments in Christ's ministry. But there's actually a helpful distinction between transform and transfigure. And I just want to work with that just a little bit this morning. You see, to be transfigured is to be changed outwardly in form and appearance. Jesus' transfiguration does not alter who he is inwardly, but gives those who see the changed visage, the changed outward appearance of Christ, new understanding of him because they see him outwardly in a different light. That is transfiguration. When we speak of transformation, we tend to mean a complete or essential change in composition or structure inwardly and outwardly. But Jesus on the mountain with Moses and Elijah is not transformed, changed inwardly, but transfigured before the disciples, shown to be another as was assumed to be before. He is not made to have a new essential self, but an appearance that conveys his standing in the company of Israel's greatest prophets, transfigured before the disciples. Jesus is standing there, and he often says in his ministry, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And who does he have standing there on the mountain? Moses, the giver of the law, the prophet who gives the law to Israel. And Elijah, the greatest, the epitome of all prophets. The power of God probably didn't show as miraculously through any other prophet in the Old Testament than Elijah. So you have these two pivotal figures, and Jesus is the fulfillment of both of them and connects God to all of the history of God with the Old Testament and all of the continuing future hope of God's mission in the world rests and is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. I can't fit the magnitude of that sort of revelation in my mind and my heart. That is why it's so important to be reminded week after week that basically gathering for worship for church is you think you know you have no idea. That's what the scriptures say to us. You think you know Christ? You really don't have any idea. We have to come. It's a continual practice to renew our understandings of who God is in Christ Jesus so that we can continue to be propelled by the work of the Holy Spirit, even when it terrifies us, even when it unsettles us. In worship, week after week, through the word of God, our vision is restored. We are enabled by God to see Jesus as Savior, something more than teacher, more than a teacher of morality or ethics or just the way to live our life. We begin to see Jesus in dazzling clothes as an epiphany of God in the world. His transfiguration transforms the disciples in the story and transforms us by removing the veil over our eyes. It is no small matter that the scene ends with the word dead. 
that is a word that invokes fear, that it invokes terror even in my own heart. But Jesus has embraced his own identity as the one who will die and be raised. He signals the journey ahead that will be coming when he and his disciples have left the mountain. It's one thing to have a high experience, a mountaintop experience with Jesus, up in the clouds where everything is brilliant. But it's not the be-all, end-all. We don't stay on the mountain. The reason for the identification of Jesus with Moses and Elijah is for the church, the disciples, to realize that their crucial work in the world is to accompany Jesus to the cross, to take up our crosses, to die in order to live, to be last in order to be first, to refuse the invitation to turn away from God's laws and God's the church has a responsibility, and it's clear in our passage what our responsibility is. It is to listen to God's Son and listen with the expectation to know something you didn't know before. Listen with the expectation of saying, you know what? My preconceived notions of Christ may be wrong, and I need to be brave enough to let those go. Because do you know what we call assumptions of God that we are unwilling to let go of, we call those an idol. And if we're not allowed to let go of our assumptions of who Christ is, we end up being like Peter saying, that's not right for you to go to the cross. You are supposed to be a military Messiah to overthrow Rome. That's not the Messiah you're called to be. Peter assumed to tell Jesus who he's supposed to be. And Jesus responds by saying, you don't have the ways of God on your mind. You have the ways of the world. Get thee behind me. And he calls him an unsavory name, Satan. He had an assumption about who Jesus was supposed to be. And that he held on to that assumption rather than letting God and Christ be revealed to him in a new way. We can fall into that same temptation as the church. The church's responsibility is to listen to God with the expectation to have God revealed to us. That listening does not result in staying aloof where the air is pure, where the view is stunning, and we are safe and sound. The church must listen to the voice of God's word in our midst so that we follow in a way that leads to the we are not called to have power over others, but to rise up as dust that has been formed by the breath of God and give life to others, especially those who are neglected by the powerful. Are we willing to see Jesus in a new light? Are we willing to walk through this season of Lent and let God be revealed through Christ Jesus, perhaps in a way that just defies all of our preconceived notions of Christ. Are we like Peter? Are we wanting to build shelters to stay in the Jesus we prefer to believe in or the Jesus that's trying to be revealed to us through God in Christ Jesus? I want to encourage you to be brave. It may be terrifying at first to see all of God in Christ Jesus, but it is transforming for us. 
And Christians who are transformed can't help but transform our communities, our families, the world around us, because the power of God is in Christ Jesus through us. Transformed people transform people. Seen people see people. And we want to be known by God in Christ Jesus so that the world may know Christ Jesus through us. Is that your desire this morning? I pray that you will desire to see Christ in a transfigured light this season of Lent. Let me pray for us today. Lord God, as you are transfigured before your disciples, we pray that we would encounter you in that light of God as well. I pray, Lord God, that we would be willing to lay all of our assumptions of God, of salvation, of, of the church, of how the world is to respond to you. May we lay them at your feet so that you can transform them, transfigure them, bring us to new enlightenment so that when we pick them back up, they are shaped and created by you and not by our own assumptions of you. Would you please, Lord God, reveal yourself to us. We confess that we believe. We ask for help in the ways in which we are holding on to unbelief. We are holding on to assumptions. We are holding on to preconceived notions of you and our neighbor. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and shape and form us to be the people you've called us to be. Lord God, be with us even in those terrifying moments and remind us that you are a God of peace. And even though we might be terrified by what we don't know, you still walk down the mountain with us by our side, carrying us along the way. Lord God, you are with us and we are thankful for all that you are. In Christ's holy name we pray. so glad you found our sermon podcast and we pray that this was a place of hope, healing, and peace for you today. If you'd like to financially support the staff and ministries of our church, we've made it really easy for you to do so. On our podcast page, you should see a button that says support, where you can set up reoccurring giving at 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Or if you're interested in giving more, head on over to our website at euclidnaz.org slash donate. Thank you so much for supporting the mission of Euclid. We really do believe that the difference we can make for the kingdom is greater when we do it together. Blessings to you today, friends.